great to be with you, church. Um, I just want to give you good news. We are discounting some of our t-shirts at our bookshop. So please head over to our bookshop and look at our t-shirts. We wanted to bring in a new crop. So we wanted to, keep, we wanted to make sure that that old crop gets, gets sold. That, I shouldn't tell you that because then you're like, heck, I'm going to wait for the new crop. <laughs> Sorry, I just shot myself right in the foot. But they are fantastic t-shirts. I especially like the John 3.16 one because it it's kind of proclaims Jesus, but it's not so like overt in your face. So if you haven't got that t-shirt, won't you go and get one? I think you will love it. And we will, we will keep you posted as to what is happening in our bookshop. God bless you. Welcome to church where we see lives, communities, and society transformed through discipleship in the word, the presence, and the power of God. God is so faithful. He is indeed good, and he's good to you all the time. As we were singing in worship, and I just, I just could imagine that goodness going on forever and ever and ever and ever. What does that look like? A goodness that never ends, that it has no end to its depth. It's, it's like you can never discover the fullness of it. Just when you think you know how good God is, he gets better. He gets better and he gets better and he gets better. And I, my prayer for all of us this year is that we would discover the goodness of God. We would discover the deep, unending perfect, satisfying love of God. Amen. So we are completing our Set Apart series today, and we, are, we have been globally in a time of prayer and fasting in which we were, we were contemplating and living in the concept of God's holiness. What is God's holiness? We learned that God's holiness means to be set apart, to be exclusively for the use of the king. And we've been exploring that in our devotionals, in our prayer times, in our sermons up to now. We are going to be beginning a new sermon series on the Ten Commandments. I know it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. If you thought the Ten Commandments were dull and boring, just you wait. As we unpack them, you are going to discover God in a way you had never imagined. You're going to discover the goodness of God in a way you've never, ever imagined. However, we realize that the Ten Commandments are just, just God's holiness in action. So basically, Harata, just for you, we will be continuing set apart for some time. We're just calling it Finding Freedom. Because I had some people come to me before the service so devastated that Set Apart was ending today. So I'm here to tell you it's, it's not really ending. We're just continuing it in a different name. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we, as we delve into your word today, Lord God, I'm asking that more than hearing my words, people would hear your words. Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to say, come, speak to us. Lord God, we want to leave here transformed. We want to leave here new. We want to leave here alive, free, whole, in love with you more than we've been before, cognizant of your presence, able to move in your power, doing the works of the kingdom like Jesus did, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you come and help us? Would you speak to us? Pour out grace upon us today to hear you, Lord. Thank you, Father. 
Amen. Amen. So, Andrew, 34 years ago, 35 years ago, proposed to me in the most unusual way. He was worship leader of the church we were attending at the time. And I was sitting in a pew, worshiping the Lord with my whole heart. He was on his guitar playing, and suddenly the key changed. Everyone looked up, and he began to sing a song, which I won't sing to you because I don't want to destroy it for you. But it went like this. There's a wedding coming on the Son of Man. It was a popular song at the time about just the marriage between Christ and his church. But he began to sing about this wedding. And then the band carried on doing the song about the wedding. He put his guitar down. He walked off the stage, picked up a thing of flowers on the first row, walked over to me in the middle of the service. Did you get down on your knees? I can't remember. I can't remember. You were younger then, so I'm pretty sure you did. Got down on your, his knees before me, handed me the flowers and said, will you marry me? I know, guys. Of course, you know what? I had no choice but to say yes because I'm in front of a whole church. All eyes on me. Later, I heard there were a few girls sitting in pews thinking, maybe he's coming to me. <laughs> but he came to me. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Luckily, we had, I kind of knew it was coming. So I, so I was prepared. When, when a friend said to me before the service, dress nicely today, that was a clue. That was a clue. Well, anyway, that's how Andrew proposed to me. And of course, I said yes, and we have been happily married for what, 90% of the time since then. Those, those of you who are unmarried are like shocked by that. Like, heck what, you're unhappy all of the time? I'm so sorry. Let me just burst your bubble. You're happy most of the time. The other time, God is dealing with your soul and making you happy. That's how it goes. That's how He's making you holy. There you go. And when he makes you holy, you become happy. That's how it goes. So, in the Bible, God came to Israel, and he proposed to them. This is God's proposal to his called-out, set-apart nation. We can find it in Exodus 19, and it goes like this. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, you remember the story, they had been slaves in Egypt, and God called them out. He parted the Red Sea, brought them out into the wilderness, and was taking them on a journey to the land he had promised them, which was Israel. In the third month after the Israel left, Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai, after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession." 
Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. This is God proposing to Israel. He's saying to them, I want you exclusively for me. Just as a husband proposes to a wife, and can you imagine if Andrew came to me three months into my wedding and in my purse or in my wallet, he found a picture of my high school sweetheart. Can you imagine what he'd be feeling? He'd be, what would he, just, just imagine the emotions. I mean, he'd be very humanly angry, jealous, in a rage. God, God is calling Israel to himself, exclusively his, exclusively his. To this proposal, they say yes. And he says to them, okay, Moses goes back and says, yes, the people agree. They will be your treasured possession. And God says, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to bring all of Israel, the entire nation. The Bible tells us they were, that there were at least a, a million or more of them. We're not sure exactly how much, but it was, it was a large amount of people. And he said, bring them all around the mountain. They, they must come a certain distance because I'm holy and I, I don't want to break out against them. I mean, I don't, I don't want them to have sin in their heart and step into my presence and their sin is destroyed and it destroys them. I just, I just want to make sure that they're safe. So keep them as close as they can be to me. But within a safe distance. Have them encamp around. Have them consecrate themselves. Let, let them take sin away or just abstain from sinful practices for days beforehand and come and let them, let them encamp around the mountain. And I will come down on the mountain and from the cloud on the mountain, I will speak to them so that they can hear me themselves. Because I don't, I don't want to speak to my bride through someone else. I don't want, Moses, I love you, but I don't want to be speaking to my bride through you. I want to speak to my bride face to face. I want to speak to her like she's my beloved, my loved one. Have them camp around there and I will come down and speak to them. He comes down. They're all encamped around there. And what he's doing now, if you can imagine that we've just read the proposal, what he is doing now is this is the wedding ceremony. Now, now they are making commitments to each other. And God is explaining to them how to live in a holy relationship with a holy God. And you know this portion of scripture very well. It is indeed the Ten Commandments. He comes down and speaks the Ten Commandments audibly to an entire nation. Do you know what happens right after that? Israel says, heck, that was crazy. Don't do it again. Moses, you go speak to God. We don't want it. And that began the troubled marriage between God and Israel that lasted so many decades, hundreds and hundreds of years before God brought Jesus 
and created from that remnant a new bride on the earth, which was us. But, but those Ten Commandments remain as an indication of what it means, what, what Jesus does in our hearts to give us capacity to live in a relationship with God that is not troubled, that is not difficult, where we're not running away from him, where when his voice comes to us, we're not terrified and saying, no, don't do that again. We're actually embracing and, and pushing into the relationship. And these are indeed the Ten Commandments. So here we go on to our next series. Are you ready? Finding freedom through the Ten Commandments. Here God begins to speak those Ten Commandments. And we're going to look at the very first one, perhaps the most important one, that boomed out from Mount Sinai over an entire nation. He says this, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and you shall have no other gods before me. Do you notice how he starts? These are his instructions. Actually, in Hebrew, it's the ten words. It's not like the ten commandments. It's the ten words. These were the, the words, the, the ten expressions of God that if you lived in them, you would live in a wholesome, life-giving relationship with God forever. But you notice how you be, he begins this. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What is he saying right at the beginning? Before we begin this list of instructions, I want you to know who I am so that you can see, hear, and understand these instructions from the place they are coming from. Because you know, if that very strict headmaster comes to you and says, you will not have your hair long, what is your expressed desire from that moment onwards? To have long hair. You will do everything to have long hair. And for all of those with long hair, praise Lord. I know you had fantastic headmasters. So he needed to know that he was, he needed them to know that he wasn't that. That he wasn't that, that terrible authoritarian, I'm just out to make my life easy, you fit into the box so I'm okay. He's not, he's not that God. He's the God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, I'm the God who's looking out for you. I'm the God who is committed to your freedom. I'm the God who wants you to be free. Therefore, everything outside of this, everything moving forward, it's my attempts to create in you the capacity to be free. When I speak these, these are not to bring you into bondage. These are to bring you into freedom. He was on a journey. He was bringing them out of Egypt. They were going into the wilderness, and then they were going to come into the land of the freedom that, freedom that they would own. And he, he had... He, Probably only had 40 days if they went straight there, but it ended up being 40 years because it took a little while to get it into them, the principles of freedom. So that when they came in there, they could truly be free. He was on a journey to bringing them to being whole and free. Yeah. You notice it says there, you shall have 
no other gods before me. No. He is more committed to your freedom than you are, but I don't want to say that yet. He has no, uh, you will have no other gods before you. That little word no is so interesting because we associate negative commands with dictatorial environments. You can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Heck, what can I do? But I want you to notice something, that the Ten Commandments, eight out of the ten are no's. Only two are positive. And that is, you shall keep the Sabbath holy and you shall honor your mother and father. All the others are, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But God is not that kind of God. So, so how do we read that little no? We don't know. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you. How do we read that no? We read it like this. Out of the 10 million billion things you could do. There are only eight that you can't. That's how you read it. You see, a God of freedom cannot describe to them everything they can do. It's too big. It's too enormous. They would be sitting there for 10 billion years as he described all the fantastic things they could do. Yes, Go and make cities, go build roads, go have businesses, have families, make children, paint paintings, uh, invent maths, make money. Yeah, the, the list goes on. Have friends, have parties, do fine dining, go out, do these incredible things. I'm, I'm a God of freedom. Just go out and be free. Do, do great things. But just these eight things, please. If you do these things, they will take you back into bondage. Can you just leave these eight things? Make sure you don't do them. That's how we read that little no right there. You see, God is committed, more committed to your freedom than you are. How do I know that? How do I know God is more committed to my freedom than I am? Because, heck, I keep on doing things that take me back into bondage. I keep on thinking those, those negative thoughts. Over my life, I've often gone into a relationship with people that have that's just messed me up. You know, you can name your things. That extra drink that you shouldn't have had. That person you met up with that you shouldn't have. That business deal that you knew you shouldn't have done. That argument you had with someone you loved that you knew was stupid from the beginning, but you did it anyway. You see, God is more committed to our freedom than we are. How do I know? Because we keep on doing things that take us back into bondage. And why is that? Because in, to some degree, we don't know what freedom looks like. We were born into an Egypt state, so to speak, in slavery to so much that it takes years and years of God working with us to clear out the clutter to show us what freedom looks like. So what does freedom look like? I'll tell you what it doesn't look like. Are you okay with that? Freedom doesn't look like doing whatever you want. 
how do I know this? Because the only person that gets to do what they want all the time ends up being a violent dictator. Because at some time, at some time, you just doing what you want is going to impinge on someone else's freedom. At some time, you just doing what you want is going to harm someone else or going to mean they can do less. If, heck, I want all the money in the world. That means you're going to have to have less. So the only person that ever, humanly speaking, gets to do what they want ends up being this terrible dictator. Who their, their will goes and nobody, everyone else is subservient to that. So you see, it's impossible for freedom to mean that you can do what you want because we could never live in community if that were true. So that cannot be true. Freedom cannot be that. However, there is one who can always do what he wants. And that one is God. Why? Because what he wants is always the best for you. The only way to be truly free is to always want the best for everyone else. Can we just let that sink in? The only way to be truly free is to enter into the freedom of God. The only one who is truly free. And our walk with him out of our private Egypt into our private promised land or corporate promised land is our journey to allowing the freedom that God holds to become our freedom. Allowing our concept of who we are and what the world is to be conformed to God's image so that there comes a time when what we want is what God wants and therefore we can do whatever we want. You see, freedom for a human being is putting God first. And I don't care how well you live your life outside of God, you will never be free until God is first. And that is why God so clearly said his first commandment is that you shall have no other gods before me. Because I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt into freedom. And in order to maintain and grow in this freedom, you must have no other gods but me. Because every other one will bring you into bondage. Why does he say no other gods? I mean, we can think of a hundred reasons, but let me propose another one to you if I can. He says, you will have no other gods before me because there are no other gods. You understand that? There's only one creator God. Any time or let me say this. Okay, I said it right first. I'm going back. Anytime you speak to a spiritual entity that isn't God, commune with a spiritual entity that is not God, worship a spiritual entity that isn't God, serve a 
a spiritual entity that isn't God. Sacrifice for a spiritual entity that isn't God. You are communing with a demon. Because there are no other gods but God. There are no other gods but God. I know that's blunt, but it's true. And I want you to hear truth, because truth sets us free. I have a, a childhood friend that grew up, kind of a family friend. His family and our family were very good friends. We grew up together. He studied medicine, super bright, same age as me, super bright. For a long time, he did want to marry me, darling, but I just didn't keep his picture in my wallet. You're the one. So... We grew up, we grew up together, he, we lost, we lost contact, he went to the UK to practice as a doctor. He, he messaged, messaged me recently and said, he heard that I was a pastor, he really needs to talk to me, he's back in South Africa, can we meet for coffee? So I said, yes, but I don't have your picture in my wallet. <laughs> he said, I'm fine with that, please let's still do coffee. So we did coffee. And he told me a story that was fascinating. This highly intelligent, educated man, when he went to the UK, got involved with the New Age religion. And in order to find peace of mind, he began consulting spirit guides that would, would speak to him and take him and, and help him kind of regulate his emotions and feel calm and peace and and they would, they would speak to him, and he said it was beautiful. It felt like light was entering his soul. He said it felt so peaceful and serene and calm and lovely, and he heard wise things that helped him. And then one day, it wasn't lovely anymore. One day, it was dark and tormenting and terrifying. But they were in his soul. And they had him. And he spiraled, medically speaking, into an extremely deep depression where he was diagnosed with extreme mental illnesses, jumped in and out of mental hospitals, could not even um, sustain his job. And when he was sitting in front of me, he was saying, I know that my problem is spiritual because I know I said yes to a demon who I thought was an angel of light. And now it has my soul, and I don't know how to be free. I said, lucky for you. Jesus hung on the cross and defeated every one of these. He's not afraid. He's not scared. He's not, he's not intimidated by the situation. I let him... We, we met a couple of times, and I, I helped him renounce some of the practices that he'd been involved in. We, we talked about living a different kind of life. I introduced him to Jesus. He submitted his life to Jesus, and we, we began to talk about how he needed to renounce this. I, I knew that I could cast it out because demons must listen to Christians. But what I also knew is that if I cast it out and he didn't have a conviction in his heart, it would just come back. So I had to get him to the place where he said no. And what was so great is that he's, he, it took him a while, but he came to a place where he said, I don't want this thing anymore. And he renounced it. And he's lived free from that torment ever since. 
I know, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But you see, there is only one God. Everything else will take you into bondage. If you need to commune spiritually with anything, let it be with Jesus Christ himself. Nothing, nothing else. Sorry, I'm just, I need to intro that slide. You can take it back one. You shall have no other gods before me, it says. You see, in the ancient Near East where Israel was, and that the time and the way people thought at that time, indeed they did have lots of gods. They were, they'd made up the gods, you understand that, and, and some of the gods were demons manifesting around, but, they, but there were lots of gods in the different nations and lots of gods around. They'd come out of Egypt, which had many, many gods. So for them, you shall know the gods before me was extremely understandable. And God meant it. I mean, it took them generations, even, even until they went into captivity in Babylon many centuries later, they, they were still playing around with other gods. It took them a while to get this thing. But you see, we don't really have lots of gods. I mean, there are, there are other religions around, and my, my injunction stands, they are not true. Only Christianity is true. And I'm sorry that's so extreme, and if that offends you, I'm so sorry, but I want you to know the truth so you'll be free. But most of us don't dabble with other gods. But what we do dabble with is other saviors. Many of us look to save ourselves from boredom, from feelings of insignificance, from fear, from intimidation, from anxiety, from shame. We look to other things to save us. And you've already seen that slide that can't come up now, but do you remember it? There, there, are, there are some saviors that we often put first before God. And luckily, they spell out first, F-I-R-S-T. How about our finances? How many university students do I talk to that say, I must get a job that will earn me a lot so that I can be successful? Guys, money does not make you successful. Now, I'm not saying that God wants you to be poor. In fact, God delights in your prosperity. But if you put money first, it will bring you into bondage. That's why he instituted the tithe, because he said, I'm going to show you a way to keep money in its place. I want you to have lots of it, but you must keep it in your place. The way we're going to keep it in our place is you're going to give the first tenth to me so that there's a way of you saying, this is not mine, it's God's. It keeps you out of bondage. I, your interests... How many of you need a winning soccer team to feel okay? How many of you, how many of us have this, have this thing, let me first? You know, I want to read my Bible, but let me first do this. I should go to church, but let me first finish this business contract. 
I should be about the Lord's business, but let me first do this. The let me firsts, those things that we, we do instead of doing the things of God first. Those are the things that act like a, they, they act like a hand in front of your eyes. God is big and enormous like an incredible mountain, but you can have the Drakensberg right in front of you. If you, put, if you put your hand in front of your eyes, you can't see it. And when you put an interest or a passion or a hobby right here and make it the everything, you can't even see God. He becomes obscured. Our interests, our relationships... Let me, let me speak to the unmarried for a little while. Your marriage, your upcoming marriage that God's going to give you, it's going to be amazing, will not fulfill you. You must put God first. And then your relationships will fulfill you. Let me, let me speak to the married people who are tempted toward other relationships. Guys, it will not do it for you. Only God will do what you are longing for. R. S. Now, guess what S is? I heard some interesting things coming from the top, the front. Your status. Heck, guys. Don't we just think, if I could be more famous, more successful, more loved, more, I don't know, have more YouTube hits on my YouTube feed, I'll be better. Jesus was very clear. Don't choose the, the places at the top of the table. Let God promote you. Don't, don't seek after status because it will bring you into bondage. It's a never-ending thing. How, how popular do you need to be to po be popular? I mean, there are like 8 billion people on the earth. Do they all have to know you? I mean, heck, at some stage, the fact that God knows me has got to be enough. How about our traditions, guys? You know, those ancestors, you know, they, 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 just, they just don't have what it takes to save you, despite what your tradition says. How about, how about the ways of doing it? We've always done it that way. How about those things? Guys, they just don't have the power to save you. Not all our traditions are bad. We all need traditions of some kind. But we, if we put them first, if we have them before God, they're going to destroy us. They're going to keep us in bondage. My family didn't greet that way. I was just talking to someone. We were talking about the different ways people greet culturally. What happens if you're in an environment where people greet differently, talk differently, eat different food? Is that going to make you shy away from the God in them? 
Are your traditions going to supersede what God has for you? You see, we don't really battle with many gods. We battle with many saviors. And God is asking of us, do you want to be free? Do you want to be my bride? The first thing I'm asking of you is to have no other gods, no other saviors before me so that you can live out this magnificent freedom that I have. Have I offended everyone in this room? Is there someone not offended? Because I can try harder. I'm just kidding. I don't really want to offend you at all. All I want to do is to put plain truth in front of you so that you can be free. And I'm putting the plain truth in front of me so that I can be free. Even while I was preparing the sermon, I was, I was thinking of the let me first things. And I was thinking about all the let me first that happened from time to time before I read my Bible. I was like, hey God, I can't do that anymore. Because I, I want to be free. I want to be free. Finding the freedom you want means loving God first and worshiping him only. Finding the freedom you want means loving God first and worshiping him only. How many of you want to be free? Fantastic. Please, can we stay? If you want to be free, won't you stand up? Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. We are going to pray for just an increase in your personal freedom. Would you like that? Before we go there, I just, I just felt to say this. You know, one of the ways I judge my freedom in worship is this way. I say to myself, you remember I said those, those interests sometimes get in the way? I, I challenge myself this way. I say, when my preferred sports team wins. If I am prepared to be physically excited and jubilant more then than I am in church, then I need to look at my heart. I need to re-examine what I believe Jesus has really done for me and how much he's won. So one of the reasons I'm expressive in worship is because heck my team won. <laughs> heck my team won. He won so fantastically that second you can't even see on the horizon. Before we go and pray for your personal freedom, I want to, I want to ask if there's anyone here and you know you haven't been serving Jesus. You might have been in church a lot. Maybe this is your first time in church, I don't know. But if you really examine your heart, you haven't made him Lord of your life. You haven't surrendered to him. You haven't, you haven't acknowledged him as your personal savior. Maybe you've done it in private, but you know, it's, or you've done it before, but your life has never 
really come in line with that. And you want to make a new commitment at the beginning of the year to say, you know what, God, I want to surrender my life to you. I want you to be Lord. And if that's you, I would love us to pray together. It's not hard to do. You simply tell him. And he does the rest. He comes and takes you and changes you and makes you new. Does a supernatural work in your heart. So if, if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer for me with me. I'm going to ask that everyone prays it together just so that we can stand in solidarity with those praying it and meaning it as a, as a commitment to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I come to you and I surrender my life. Lord, I acknowledge that I have been in charge of my life and I want you to be in charge. Lord, I acknowledge that I have lived in sin and Lord, I want to change and I want your righteousness to be inside of me. Lord, I acknowledge that the only way to do this is for you to change me, for me to be born again. Lord, make me new. Cause me to be born again. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, I would love to personally pray for you and lay hands on you and just trust for God to touch you in a, a new and supernatural way. If that's you, won't you just raise your hand so that I can see who you are? Is there anyone here? Won't you just raise your hand? If you prayed that, thank you. Is there anyone else? Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. I see those hands. Please don't be ashamed of that. Guys, raise those hands. Our team won. You're just saying yes to the greatest victory on earth. Amen, amen, amen. So if you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to do something brave. Can you come out of your seats and can you come forward here just so that we can welcome you into the family? Come on. I know some of you have been in church a lot and you may feel embarrassed coming forward. Please don't. Just come on forward. Just come on forward. Come on forward. We see you. Was there anyone else? I couldn't really see that all the hands. It was a bit busy out there. Can we extend our hands to these and can we pray? Lord Jesus, we bless these. We say yes. We say welcome home. Welcome home. There's been a seat at the table waiting for you. Jesus called you. Jesus called you. You heard him and you said yes. And his answer to your yes is a giant yes. You're mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. You belong. Right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, you would enter them and change them, cause them to be born again by the power of your spirit. Lord God, we ask for the renewing work of your spirit that no man can do to make them into a new person. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are powerful, you are good, and you've chosen them. Never the same again. Never the same again. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. There is a fantastic man by the name of Eugene here who's just got some materials he wants to give you. Won't you just go with him? It won't be long. And he's going to pray for you and give you some stuff and help you on your way. Give them a hand as they go. And church, in conclusion... Lord Jesus, we want to be free. 
Can you say that with me? Lord Jesus, we want to be free. Lord Jesus, we want to know you. Lord Jesus, set us free. Teach us truth. Change us. Make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we forsake everything else for you because you're good. Amen and amen and amen.